0: a uh, A somber sermon, but uh, forgive me if my demeanor or attitude may be as such and doesn't necessarily match the content um, but i'm gonna i'm gonna pray and um I just ask God to be with us this morning as we open his word now, Father, would you um help me to communicate uh, your word to your people? Uh, we need to hear from you always, and uh today is no different from that. And I pray that you would help me to speak uh, your word uh, clearly and uh, that you would speak to our hearts. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So today is uh, our final sermon as we wrap up this series that we have been in. And big idea is that God loves this world, that God has a heart to bless this world. To care for this world, to bring about his presence in this world so that people would know him. That God, we, we've talked about that God made this world and he made it good and he made it beautiful. And yet, because man and woman, and ever since this is what we all do, have turned from him and reject him, the world experiences a brokenness, the world experiences pain. And so, what's God's plan to? save this world? What's God's plan to bring about the blessing that he originally intended for this world to experience? And the Bible uses the word mystery to describe this. It says that it is a mystery that God is unfolding. This plan that God has to bring about blessing again in the world is a is a mystery. And when someone gets a mystery, right? if you think about times in your life that you didn't know something, there was something mysterious, and then you understood it in some way. When someone gets a mystery, it's, you, your, your heart usually is filled with some sort of joy in some ways. Even something as simple as, you know, I, I, I take off my thumb, and it's a trick, it's not real. Um, in case you know, some of you still have not been told that mystery. <laughs> Uh, but I know when i when 've told my kids when I revealed that to them, uh, they, they thought it was so cool there 's a joy that that, that uh, fills someone 's heart when you understand a mystery that previously has been hidden and, and the greater the mystery is, the greater the mystery is when you find it out, the more joy fills your heart, the more happiness, the more surprise, the more delighted that you are in going, oh, I know the mystery. Maybe you get to the end of a certain book or the end of a certain movie and you're like, oh, yes, when the mystery is resolved, when the mystery is revealed, there's joy that That happens, And the Bible says, here's what the mystery is, the mystery of God to bring about blessing in the world again, to bring about salvation in the world again, his plan to redeem the brokenness. It says it's a mystery, and yet here's what the mystery is. Here's how Paul calls it in in his letter to the city of Colossae. He says, I have become its servant, talking about this mystery, this message, according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. He's saying there's this deep mystery that's been hidden, that people have partially understood, but not fully understood. That people have gotten glimpses of, but has never been fully revealed. It's been hidden, but now it's revealed. That God wanted to make known among the Gentiles, that's, that's the people that were not Jewish people, the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He says, here is what this great mystery is, that God himself has come to the earth in Christ. That God himself has come to the earth in Christ and dwells with you. That he actually unites himself to you. That his presence can be experienced and known in your life. That the I love the way he says that the glorious wealth of this mystery. Because that is to say that there is so much riches in knowing Jesus. There is so much riches in being able to have his presence in your life when you are going through suffering, when you're going through confusion, when you are going through joyous times to have God's people and to have somebody to actually give thanks to. He says it is the glorious wealth of these riches that God is personally present, dwelling in with his people, that it's a a great joy to have that. It's a deep mystery that's been hidden for a long time, but now is revealed. Here's what, you want to know what God's plan is to bring blessing into the world? You want to know what God's plan is to redeem the brokenness of this world? It's to himself come to the earth and be personally, directly present with his people. To dwell in them, with them. How will the world get that? If that's what the great mystery is, and if it's been hidden, how will the world actually get that? How will the world actually receive that mystery and be able to benefit from the glorious wealth of riches? I I, I read a story this week about a couple that was cleaning their house and found uh, a 1.2 million lottery ticket that it was, it was there. That I don't, they never checked it or something. And it had been, I don't know what the expiration date it, uh, you know, how long those things uh, are around for. But it was going to expire in only like a week or a couple weeks or something. And they found it. And the glorious wealth of this mystery, they were able, and I'm not condoning the, the lottery. Uh, I'm just saying this is what happened. The glorious wealth they almost missed out on. How will the world be able to receive the glorious benefits of a God personally present in their lives? And what we've been looking at and what the Bible says is that we are God's strategy. That we are God's strategy. That we are not just people that are saved. We are people that are sent. That Jesus is not just your savior, but he is your sender. He is not just the one that reveals a mystery to you but he is someone that wants to reveal the mystery through you as well. This is what the Bible calls us to, that we are God's strategy. And listen, I know it's easy to miss this. It's easy to think that what it means to be a Christian is to live a good life, be a good person and to follow Jesus's values and to have family values. But it's so much more than that. It is to be a part of God revealing His mystery of the glorious wealth to people so they may have His direct presence in their life. I had asked Kellyanne when she became a member, and I feel this is just honoring to her and fitting as our last sermon in this series. I I asked her, What does it mean to you to be a Christian? And here's what she said in her words. To be a follower of Jesus Christ. Here's what it is. It's to be a follower of Jesus Christ and commissioned to spread the good news of the gospel wherever I go. To bring glory to God in all that I do and seek joy in him every day. To believe every day that I have a loving father who died on the cross and takes all my ugliness and wretched sin on him so that I could live for eternity in heaven. See, what she understood and what the Bible teaches is that central to our very identity as a Christian, central to our very identity. What's a Christian? It's to be commissioned to spread the good news of the gospel, to enjoy him every day, to enjoy the wealth of those riches every day, and then be commissioned to bring that To others, Because there's many people that don't have and have not experienced the glorious wealth of the riches of a God present in their life. And look, this is the last sermon in this series. And if you're just coming in for today, I'm sure it's a weird Sunday for you. Um, But I'm not going to try to convince you of this. I'm not going to try to convince you of this is our calling or our commission. We've spent a lot of time talking about that. I'm just going to start with the fact that you want to be a part of that. That you want to do that. That you want to be a part of taking it seriously. That core to your identity as a Christian, if you're a Christian, is saying, I'm called to bring this mystery to help other people experience this mystery. I'm just going to start with that you want to do that, but it's hard. That there's a lot of difficulty in that. And as we just kind of wrap up today, a lot of what we talk about today in some ways will be a summary of how do we join God How do we join God in his mission in the world to help people to know him? How do we make that a central core part of our identity as a Christian? And we've talked a lot about that, but we're just going to look at three keys. Three things that you can fall back on if you don't remember any of the sermons that have been preached the last six weeks. And I'm just going to give you three keys to kind of hang on to, hold on to. If this is your first Sunday, it's actually a great Sunday, because you can just, you know, when on Netflix, if you missed the whole series before, a lot of times they have that five-minute recap video of the next series, and that's kind of what this is, except it won't be five minutes. Um, <laughs> so what are the three keys? Here's what Paul says later in the book about the mystery, and we're just going to focus in on this passage for the rest of the time. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word, that's the gospel, to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains so that I may make it known as I should. Act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you should answer each person. This gives to us Three different handles that we can hang on to when we say, how do I join God as a part of his mission? How do I join God as a part of his plan to reveal a mystery of a God personally, directly present in people's lives? And let's just ask this passage three different questions. First is, what do we pray? What do we pray? And so we know we should pray. Oftentimes we get tired of praying or Don't feel passion necessarily to pray for people that don't know Jesus or for opportunities. Can just kind of feel weary in our prayers, right? I mean, you know this that praying can just kind of feel sometimes like a chore or just the most you pray during a week is that your body is blessed from the food that you eat. And it can just feel like a rote activity. How do you stay alert in prayer? How do you stay alert? Paul uses that word. How do you actually stay alert, so focused and aware of what's going on and you know you get an alert about a flood or a hurricane on your, you know, iPhone or you get an alert about a kidnapping that takes you get an alert and what it's saying is hey be aware, pay attention to what's going on because to actually live in the way that you need to, you need to be alert. And how can you be alert in your prayer? And Paul says this, which might not be what we actually normally think of, of what would give us a sense of alertness. But he says, stay alert in it with thanksgiving. That the way for you to be alert is to have thanksgiving. That if we want to be alert in our prayers, you stay alert with thanksgiving. And, and here's why. Because in thanksgiving, you are reminding yourself and talking to God and thanking him for who he is and what he's done, which gives you a clearer view of what the world is. When your prayers go to thanksgiving, you are seeing God clearly. You are seeing what he's done in your life. You are seeing who he's been to you. You are rehearsing the mystery of Christ. You are remembering the wealth of the riches that you have. And so your view of reality becomes correct what has God done in your life if you're a Christian what benefits have you received in being in relationship with him what comfort in suffering what forgiveness in sin what grace in the middle of shame what freedom in the middle of sins that you thought you would never be able to break through See, to thank God is to once again see clearly and to remind yourself of the glorious wealth of the riches that you've been given and to have the focus be off yourself. You see, Thanksgiving removes the focus from ourself and we begin to focus on others. Think about, I know, you know, we just had a holiday, right? Thanksgiving. And, you know, many people, I know we did this. At our Thanksgiving dinner, and I know it's, many people have this tradition to go around the table and say, "What are you thankful for?" And nobody says, I, "You know, I'm really thankful for myself." Actually, you know, come to think of it, I'm just thankful for me. I mean, nobody says that, and if they did, people would, they probably wouldn't be invited to the dinner the next time. And you're like, "Actually, I did say that at Thanksgiving." Well, I'm sorry. Nobody says that because during Thanksgiving, when your focus is on and we have like a holiday to commemorate the goodness in our life and the things that we're thanking God, when, when you're in that sphere, you're not thinking about you, right? You're thinking about the other people. You're thinking about the good that they've brought into your life. You're thinking about the stuff that God has done in your life. You're thinking about how people have blessed you and shared with you and cared for you and your focus is off of your self which is why Paul, when he's talking about being a part of God's mission, says the fuel that you need to begin with, the fuel that you will need to begin with to move forward in participating in God's mission is thanksgiving. The way to see the world accurately is thanksgiving. Because when you begin to remember what God has done for you, you want others then to experience that. Which is why the very next thing that he says is that he says, I'll be alert in thanksgiving and then pray for us that God may open a door to us to speak the mystery. That God would open a door. See, whenever things are behind closed doors, it's usually the best stuff. If you ever stay at an Airbnb and there's one locked closet and you try to use your pickpocket skills and just me, okay. Um, <laughs> um, but whatever's behind that door is, is the things, it's the good stuff, right? It's the things they don't want you as their guest to, to, to know what's behind there. It's the things that they don't want you just as a commoner to touch. That's their stuff. Or, you know, we were at a restaurant recently, and there was a, a large kind of wine selection that was behind a locked, closed door. Obviously, that's not, what. none of it was in a box, right? I mean, that's the good stuff that they put behind there. Because behind closed doors, I mean, this is what that image is. Behind closed doors is the stuff that is usually most precious. I mean, even if you just think about your own life and you lock your door at night because you believe that yourself or your family is precious and want to keep it behind closed doors, safe. Because whatever's behind closed doors is the good stuff. Let me ask you this. Have you ever prayed that God would open a door in your life? you ever prayed that God would open an opportunity? Open, God, would you open a door for this? And maybe it was a job you prayed. God, would you open a door for me to get a job or open a door for an interview? Or maybe it was a, a, a date. God, would you open a door for me to have a date with this person? Or open a door for... I mean, that's kind of common Christian language that people use a lot. We even say when God closes a door, he opens a window. Which I always think is the weirdest, like it reminds me of like Jesus being a, a house thief or something, you know? It's just like, yeah, Jesus, needs, Jesus doesn't need to climb through the window, okay? But it's, it's this idea that we often pray that God would open doors because there's things that we know, man, that's the good stuff that we want access to. And yet, if you've ever prayed, God, would you open a door? A lot of times that's for ourselves. It's the job that we want, it's the relationship that we want. It's the opportunity that we want. It's the trip that we want. It's the finances that we want. And we think about ourselves often when we pray that God would open a door. And maybe it's because we don't start in our prayers with thanksgiving. Being alert, understanding the things that God has given to us. So our hearts are full. We're experiencing the wealth of riches of his presence. And then we want other people to experience that. So when we pray that God would open a door... We actually pray for other people. See, Paul says, God, would you open a door for me to tell people about you? He doesn't say, God, would you open a door for me to get this and me to get that. He's thinking about other people in this moment. He's thinking about other people. See, it's even interesting that he says that he is in chains for speaking about Jesus. See, the very thing that got him into chains, speaking about the mystery of Christ, the very thing that put him in chains, he doesn't say, God, open a door to get, you know, literally open this jail door. He doesn't pray that. He actually prays, open a door for me to keep doing the very thing that got me here in the first place. Because the only thing he's thinking about, since it's flowing from Thanksgiving, is how can I help other people to experience the riches of the mystery of knowing you? let me ask you this question that I heard a long time ago and it's always been an impactful question for me. What if all your prayers from this week were answered? If every prayer that you prayed to God this week was answered, what would happen? Would it mainly look like just that your life is thicker and fatter and richer and better Or would it look like that people are experiencing the mystery of Christ, his goodness, his presence, his love in their life that didn't have it before? See, what do we pray? Paul says, I want you to start with thanksgiving so that you are reminded of who God is and what he's done in your life. Which then leads you to pray that God opens doors, not for just good riches in your life, but for other people to experience the mystery of Christ I know that if you're a Christian and you're you're trying to be a part of what God is doing in this world and and you want to join him in his mission I know it can be hard Paul says it's hard because he says there's it feels like there's a lot of closed doors sometimes right and Paul doesn't say hey it's easy go for it he says there's chains and he also says there's closed doors like, maybe you have felt that. You have felt, like, in the relationships that you have with people, you have felt, man, their heart is closed, or their mind is closed, or there's no opportunities, it's closed, it's clo- You may have felt that. And Paul says, yeah, there are a lot of closed doors. If you want to be a part of God's mission, there are a lot of closed doors. But the greater the good behind that door, the harder it is to open. The greater the riches behind the door, the harder it is to actually get through, like a, like a safe at a bank. They don't put a flimsy fence, you know, rickety fence door to block riches. The greater, the greater the riches, the harder it is to break through that door, which is Paul. why Paul says this. He doesn't just say, go kick down doors, go knock them over, you can do it. He says what? Ask God to open these doors. You may be looking at all the difficulty in your life. And I'm not saying it's not hard. It probably is really hard. Time constraints and money constraints and relational constraints and knowledge constraints. And Paul says, yeah, but behind that door, someone could experience the wealth of riches and you can't open that door. So you have to ask God to do it which is also telling us that we're not alone in this. If you want to be a part of God's mission in the world, don't just look at the closed doors. Look at the God that can open the doors. That's what Paul is saying. God has the power that he is present with you. Thus, what do we pray? We ask God, open these doors. And your heart is filled with that desire and that passion if you start with thanksgiving of who he is and what he's done for you which is why Paul says to devote yourself to prayer. That's how he starts it. Because he's saying it, it really matters. To start with, devote yourself to this. I, look, I know a lot of times we treat prayer like, eh, it doesn't really matter that much. That's why our prayers a lot of times are only, bless this food to our bodies, help me to sleep good, whatever. But if I said devote yourself to prayer, that, that's saying it really matters. Some doors may never open. Some hearts may never open. Some things may never change. Unless we're asking God, God, open these doors. So let me ask you, who are you praying for? Who do you pray for? If you want to be a part of joining God in his mission, you must have people that you are saying, I am praying that there would be open doors for this person to hear the mystery of who Christ is. And second, it's not just the things that we pray, but how we actually live. So how do we how do we live? A lot of times I know as I talk to many of you and just in my own life it's easy to look at kind of the relationships we have and say we yeah, have people what if people aren't interested? And what if they just don't care? What if You know they have no interest in who Jesus is. They have no interest in the glorious wealth of these riches. That just sounds weird to them. I mean, it doesn't really matter to them. I would just say, of course they're not interested. Of course they're not interested. Our our job to join God and His mission in the world is not to just look for interested people. But what would happen? What would happen if we thought less about someone's interests and more about How can I live in such a way around them that they experience something of who Jesus is? So what if you think less about, hey, who might you be interested in more about just yourself? How can I love? How can I live? How can I serve? Here's what Paul says. He says, act wisely towards outsiders. Act wisely towards outsiders. There's people that you look at, and maybe you feel like an outsider to them, and they're an outsider to your beliefs. They're an outsider to your view on the world. They're an outsider, even just what you do on a Sunday morning. They're an outsider to your life, to your world in some ways. And Paul says not those outsiders try to get them interested. He puts the weight on you, on us, and says, "Here's, here's what you do. Stop thinking about who's interested act wisely towards outsiders. Act wisely towards the people that are on the outside. Here's what this means. It's not going to be some meteor event that changes people's lives and all of a sudden they say, I'm interested. Now, that can happen. Maybe it will. Maybe maybe you have experienced that in someone's life, but that's not the most common thing. It's not going to be some drastic change, you know, some some uh, light bulb experience that someone has that all of a sudden they're like, oh man, I'm interested now in in that weird Christianity stuff that I always used to make fun of you for. Now I'm interested. It's going to be you acting wisely. That's what Paul says. He says, yeah, they might not be interested. They're They're outsiders. And to you and to them, you're an outsider. But act wisely. And how do you act wisely? Here's what he says. He says, make the most of the time. Act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. So what is he saying there? He's saying that we have to live our lives intentionally, make the most of the time. How do you make the most of the time? In anything in your life. How do you make the most of time? Sometimes I, I read different uh, articles and blogs that say, hey, if you've only got three days in this city, if you're going to visit Austin, you've only got three days in Austin. Here, here's how you can make the most of the time in Austin. Or here's how you can make the you know, There's a, one that I read recently coming out about, about Denver. I think the New York Times had done it, saying, hey, if, you have, if you've only got three days in Denver, how do you make the most of your time in Denver? And it's got all these different things you're supposed to do. And I always look for on there because I always hate when out-of-town guests come and they're like, "We're going to go to the 16th Street Mall." I'm like, "No, <laughs> there's a Cheesecake Factory everywhere in the world. Literally, in the Sahara Desert, there's an Applebee's. You don't need to do that." <laughs> but to make the most of the time, what do you have? To, you have to be intentional, right? With anything, if you want to make the most of the time, Sarah and I uh, several years ago went to Disney World and we went to all four things in one, all four parks in one day and my leg i couldn't walk the next day but in order to do that we were intentional we planned it out we mapped out the routes we looked at all the disney crazy people blogs of you know go here and then go there and we got fast pass all the stupid stuff right why to make the most of the time see if you're going to make the most of the time it means you have to actually be thoughtful intentional plan this is what paul is calling us to if The way that you live needs to be not thinking about people's interests, but thinking about how can I act wisely? And the way that you act wisely is by thinking about making the most of the time. And what is the time? It's our life. It's our opportunities, which are short. That you have one life, and you don't know how long that life will be. Which is why Paul calls us, make the most of the time. And to make the most of something means that our most has to match what God's most is. Because you could leave here today or just go about your life, and people say this all the time of, I'm going to make the most. And what you mean by make the most is going to be defined by what you think is the mostest. And if you think that's your kids, then make the most will be all about your kids. If you think it's your spouse, it'll be all about your spouse. If you think it's money, it'll be all about your money. Make the most. So I'm going to work as hard as I can. I'm going to build my, my, my portfolio. I'm going I'm to make the most. See, whatever you think the most is, that's what making the most of your time, of your life looks like. But Paul is saying, your most has to match God's most. Because what is most important to God is people knowing him, experiencing life with him, experiencing the joy of the riches of being able to say, man, life is hard, but I've got God with me. Man, I've done some stuff in my past that I've got shame over, but I know God forgives me. And I struggle with identity and am I good enough in this or good enough in that? And I feel like I'm failing at that, but I know I'm defined by Jesus. That's the mystery. That's the wealth that he wants people to know. And that's what his most is. So he says, how do you live? You live acting wisely. How do you act wisely? You make the most of the time that you have here on this earth. And to make the most means to live intentionally, planning focus on what God's most is. He says to make the most of the time with the outsiders. And, you know, I know from talking to many of you, sometimes people say, look, I don't even know any outsiders. Maybe you're new to Denver and you found this church and you developed community, you developed relationships, and that's great, that's what we want for people. Then you start to say, I don't really even know any outsiders. So How can I make the most of my time with outsiders if I don't even know any outsiders? Well, there's a call to find a way to even have that be a part of making the most. It's to develop relationships with people. You can't, you can't even obey this command to make the most of the time with outsiders if you don't know any outsiders. And I'm, outsiders, you know, is sort of a weird term that I wouldn't encourage you to use and say, hey, are you an outsider? Um Look, it can be helpful to think about, and I've heard other people say this, it can be helpful to think about your vocation, your location, your recreation, your education. If you say, man, I I don't even know where to begin to build relationships with people. Think about those areas. Your job, your vocation. Maybe you can start to build some relationships there and pray that God would open doors. To begin to make the most of the time to build friendships with people. Maybe it's your location, your neighborhood, where you live, and your, you know, different neighborhoods are more conducive to that than others. Different apartment buildings and condo buildings are more conducive to that than others. Maybe it's there in your location. Maybe it's your vocation. Maybe it's your recreation. You're the thing. I mean, you all are recreating all the time, right? Hiking and biking and climbing and soccering and all that stuff, right? I played football Thanksgiving, and it feels like I broke my shoulder, and I didn't even do anything, basically. So but I know some of you are doing that all the time, right? You're playing sports, and you're doing sporting things. You can make friends in your recreation. Or maybe it's your education. Some of you go to school. Some of you need to go to school. Some of you, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, maybe it's your education. Maybe it's the classroom, people that you're meeting. And focus on that. But you can't even obey the command to make the most of the time with outsiders if you say everybody I know is a Christian. You can't have it be central to your identity as a Christian to say my life is to share the gospel, to be commissioned by Jesus, to help others discover the mystery. If you don't even know people that need that. So maybe to act wisely and to make the most of the time for you is to just start there to say, "Man, I need to start living with outsiders so I can make the most of my time with outsiders." Don't ignore that call. Don't ignore that that is central to your identity, if you're a Christian. How can you make the most? How can you make the most of the time that you have with people? It means that you think about serving them. This is what acting wisely is. Again, don't think about their interests. Think about how do I make the most of the time with them? I serve them. I, maybe I give them something to read if we're having a conversation. Maybe I invite them to church if that's appropriate. Maybe I invite them to hang out with my community group if that's appropriate. Maybe it's spending my money on them in some way to love them and bless them. Let me just say that a lot of times people put prayer and planning against each other. Some people think prayer is really holy. The first part of this, hey, ask God to open doors. Yes, yes, see, it's God. But yeah, and then Paul also says, be really intentional about your life. They go together. We pray and ask God to open doors, but that doesn't negate our responsibility to act with wisdom towards outsiders and make the most of the time. This is a repeated call throughout Paul's letters and the scriptures. Here's what this means. This won't happen naturally in your life. Naturally, we don't make the most of the time and we don't we don't we don't pray that God opens doors for other people to hear. We don't do that naturally. But we can if we live intentionally. And listen, your life, your life lived intentionally is unstoppable. I mean, that's true in so many parts, right? If you just, I, I, I talk to so many people that are like, you know, I never thought I would run a 5K. I never thought I would run a marathon. I never thought I would do, I never thought, but what happened? I never thought I could live, you know, paleo. I never thought I could, whatever, whatever the thing is over here that I never thought, but how did it change? It's because they said, no, I'm going to be intentional because something was, became most for them, whether it was health or, or their image or something became most that they said, now I'm going to live intentionally, and people do things they never thought possible. Your life lived intentionally is unstoppable. Your life lived with, I'm going to make the most. And if your most matches God's most, people begin to discover the mystery. Of Christ. Finally, what do we say? A lot of times we struggle here, right? Maybe you're praying. Maybe you're even trying to live with some intentionality in your life, but the rubber meets the road with the, what do I even say to somebody? And I think this is really helpful, what Paul says, because he actually doesn't tell us what to say, but he tells us how to say it which can be even more helpful sometimes. He says in the next part, let your speech always be gracious. Let your speech always be gracious. As you, are, as you are praying that God opens doors and then he opens them and you are living intentionally, making the most of the time, acting with wisdom towards people that you had thought had no interest and then opportunity comes to actually talk. How, how do you talk? What do you, He says, look, before I even tell you anything about what to say, you've got to focus on how you say things, which is to always be gracious. To always be gracious means that you're not self-righteous thinking you're so much better than other people, that you're not judgmental condemning other people in their life, that you're not trying to tell people how wrong they are and how awesome you are and you really just wish that they could be awesome like you, but that you're gracious, that you have received and understood how gracious God has been to you, you understand that you're no better than anybody. You're not a Christian because you were a likely candidate. It's only because of God's grace which allows your speech to then be gracious to other people, to listen to them, to hear their stories, to identify where they are and to accept where they are with the heart of God's grace to be respectful to people, to be hopeful for people, to be gracious. And and then he also says this. He says, let it be seasoned with salt. Let it be seasoned with salt. What does salt do? makes everything better, right? My grandma used to put salt on fruit. I was like, strawberries are good by themselves, Nana. I don't know, you know. Salt on grape, but just salt makes everything better. It does, it's true. We, My wife and I went to a restaurant that we like near our house. And uh, we. the main thing we like about it is the sausage. Uh, I've always loved sausage. I just, It's just a great thing. It's a great invention. And uh, it's these sausage patties. And that's like the only reason we go there. I mean, that breakfast is good, but it's the sausage patties that they make homemade there. Uh, and we went, took a bite of the sausage. It was like, this doesn't taste that good. And I don't like to complain at restaurants. I like to complain at home, but I don't like to complain at restaurants. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we we just said, hey, did you, because that's like the only reason we come there. So we're like, hey, did you guys change your sausage recipe or, you know, just wondering. And they're like, no, no, it's the same. And then he came back and was like, actually, the prep, the like cook, chef guy or whatever, I don't know if he was a cook or chef, he's like, he forgot to put salt in the recipe. This morning, thank you for letting us know. They threw the whole batch out, and they also bought our meal, which was great. Um, And I I was like, "Yes, finally, free sausage! What I've been aspiring to my whole life." But you see, salt makes everything better. Salt makes everything better. And what Paul is saying is this: when you talk to people, it's got to be gracious, and it's got to be seasoned with salt. Now, I mean, what does that mean? You don't actually put salt on your tongue as you're talking to people but it means that there's something about who you are presenting Jesus to be that you're showing the beauty of it, which can be hard if you're starting from scratch, but if you're starting from Thanksgiving and your heart is full with who God has been to you and what he's done, then you are ready and able to talk to people about the beauty that he adds to your life, the way that he seasons your life and makes it different and better. See, that's what it means for your speech to be seasoned with salt. It means that you have an understanding through thanksgiving of how Jesus has made your life different and better. So that you can talk to people and share that with them. Another thing to note in what Paul says is that many times we struggle with just, what am I going to say? What am I going to say, right? Paul says, focus on how you're going to say it. But I also love this. And you've heard me say this before if you've ever heard me talk about this, but stop thinking about what you're going to say to people and instead think about how you can answer people when they ask you something. See, that's what Paul says. He says, let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you know how you should answer. But what does that imply? That people are asking questions. The people are asking you something, which, listen, that will happen in your life if you are living out of thanksgiving, asking God to open doors, living with wisdom and intentionality and making the most, saying, how can I serve these people, love these people, bless these people, use my money to care for these people? How can I invite them into community? Then you know what people will do? They're going to ask you questions. So many times, when the Bible actually talks about evangelism or talking about the gospel, it actually puts the onus, the weight on answering. Because it's implying that we are living a life that is different in some way, that provokes people to have a question How can you handle suffering like this? How can you forgive like this? How can you serve people like this? How did you get friends like this so quick when you moved to Denver? How do you guys have that kind of community? How it provokes questions if we follow the keys that Paul is laying out. Which is why the onus so much is on answering. Some ways you can use that as an assessment in your life. Are people asking you questions? People asking you, how do you handle it like that? How do you have hope in the middle of that? How do you have grace for someone like that? How do you share what you have and your resources with such radical generosity like that? In some ways, it's a helpful assessment for our life that if no one's asking us questions and we're always thinking on how can I maybe say something to somebody instead of how can I boldly answer when asked? See, and that's the part that we should focus on. Think less about what you should say or how you should speak to people and more about honestly answering people. Just giving, when someone asks you what'd you do this weekend, you tell them you're at church. When someone asks why you seem a little down or when someone asks how you could be happy or when someone asks what did you do? I was with my community. When people ask you questions, focus on just giving honest answers. Honest answers will open even more doors. And the last part that he brings out and what we say is this last line. He says, so that you may know how you should answer each person. That's an important part because that means everybody's different. So that you may know how you should answer each different person. If you just have a canned approach, this is the problem with A lot of kind of old school, and maybe it worked in its time, I I don't know, but a lot of old school kind of evangelism or approaches to sharing the gospel, which is very much just walking up to strangers and saying, do you know where you're going to go to, you know, if you die tonight, do you know where you're going to go, or things like that, that it has nothing to do with really knowing that person's life. But to answer each person means that you have taken time to actually know somebody. You know their family, you know their stories, you know their backgrounds, you've spent time asking them thoughtful questions. How did you choose this line of work? And what brought you to Denver? And tell me about your hopes and your dreams. And I mean, you just just actually ask thoughtful questions to get to know people so that when they ask you something one day or when you come to speak to them one day, you know how to answer each person. Because each person is different, and you've taken the time to know what they need of Jesus. You know what they need of the mystery. That if they had this peace, life would be beautiful for them. This is why a good kind of phrase as you're talking with people that I've always found helpful can just be to say something like this. To say, hey, can I share with you how my faith helps me with that? If somebody is sharing with you their life and you've gotten to know them, then you're able to answer them and speak specifically to where they need Jesus. And you know what this means? It means that God cares about each person. It means that when God looks out at this room, but when God looks out at Denver the same, when God looks out at this room, he doesn't just see a a nameless sea of faces. He sees individual hearts that need individual things of the wealth of the riches in relationship with him. That he sees everything in your heart, everything in your life, everything you're struggling with, everything that maybe you haven't even told others or that others don't even know is weighing on you. He sees it. And so, for God, it's important for him to instruct us to say, Answer each person, because to God, you're an individual that he cares about. With the heart struggles and issues that he sees and wants you to experience the wealth of riches that he brings. There's a great mystery, a great joy that's available for us to experience and know and for others to experience and know, and many people don't have it. God says we're his strategy, and if we remember these three keys in a nice little acronym to remember. Ask, act, answer. You think about those three things. If you've been here, all the different sermons that we've gone through this series, or if this is your first time, you can remember that. You can remember, ask, how do I I join God in his mission? How do I help people to experience the beauty of this mystery? Ask that God would open doors. Ask that he reminds you of the things that you have to be thankful for in relationship with him. Act with wisdom, making the most of the time, living intentionally. And answer, boldly, honestly. So here's what I want you to do. If you, don't, if you haven't already done this, can you write down some point today, maybe even just before you take communion on your phone or something, but write down two names, people, that you commit to asking God to open doors in their life. That you commit to acting with wisdom and intentionality and that you commit to boldly answering if we do this people begin to experience the great mystery of a god that loves them and cares for them people in your life begin to taste that what if that became central to our identity of what it means to be a christian what if it became central to our identity that we are commissioned by Jesus to share his good news with people? We pray with me as we take communion. And when we take communion, we remember Jesus' body broken, his blood shed, to enter this world and give us the greatest gift: forgiveness and life with him forever. Father, would you help us to be a church that lives out your heart for this world, that makes our most your most, that receives what you have done for us and then wants to bring that to others. Let us live in that. Let us be that kind of people. Help us now as we take communion and as we sing songs to worship you to have these truths go even deeper into our hearts. In your name, Jesus.